it's good to see you. It is really good to, uh, to be here in person with you tonight. I'm really uh, excited about this. And for those who are joining us uh, uh, online, I want to welcome you as well. Um, although I can't see you and, uh, or be with you, I, I certainly wish that I, I could be. But I'm so glad that we have a couple of options now, right? To, uh, to meet in person and also to continue with our online Services. So my name, if you haven't uh, met me before, is Eldon uh, Fair, and I have the great privilege of being a uh, pastor at our Agassiz uh, campus. And uh, as I was reflecting on my time with Central and my time as a pastor and thinking about other work that I've done, I came to the realization that I uh, have now been a pastor for more than half of my life which uh, I'm not sure, is it a good thing? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. It's a, it's a great thing. Uh, God has called me. I, I enjoy what I do. But uh, prior to my call to being, uh, a, to, to being a pastor, there was a number of different uh, short-term jobs that I held, and I was reflecting on these as well, and three of them in particular stand out to me. Uh, first was when I was in high school, I worked, actually two of them were in high school, uh, I worked at a place called Bonanza. Anybody ever heard of Bonanza and Ponderosa? Wow, that definitely was on the lower end of the scale in terms of my uh, career, uh, my work path. The next one was this small company called the Hudson's Bay Company. Everybody, you know, everybody heard of that? The third one is called, uh, or was called at that time, Kara Food Services. Um, and... I found out doing some more research on the company that it changed its name to Kara Operations Limited, and most recently it is now called Recipe Unlimited Corporation, or simply Recipe. It's a huge multinational corporation that has, I think it owns just in restaurant brands alone, I think 29 different brands. You'll probably recognize the keg and that kind of thing. Has anyone here ever worked for uh, a large company? Maybe you are currently a large company that has different sort of outlets, branches, or a division, you know, where there's that and then there's head office. Can I see a hand? Yeah. So there's a number of us here uh, that do that. Those of us that aren't in the workforce, maybe I see some, some kids here or some preteens. You might want to think carefully about what kind of job you choose. Like, I'm not saying that it's wrong, but a lot, of, uh, a lot of you will choose jobs like McDonald's or Dairy Queen or A&W, or you'll go to the mall and work for West 49 or, you know, Claire's or, you know, Garage or London Drugs or something like that. These are all smaller posts of a larger corporation. So back to Kara Food Services, uh, about 10 years ago, they stopped the division that I was working at, which was the catering division for the airlines. And so in Saskatoon, I used to uh, work in a kitchen, and then uh, they, we took over the trucking division, so I, with a number of other uh, guys, would be responsible for loading uh, food onto the airplane. And so I was on um, aircraft, like big jets, hundreds and hundreds of times before I actually got to fly on one myself. Um, and I'll have you know that I catered, I was on the private 727 Boeing for uh, Fleetwood Mac. Yeah, it was awesome. Red velvet and mirrors, the whole, like I'm not kidding you, the whole inside of the plane, it had a nice lounge dining area, it had some bedrooms and it, it was fancy, and I was on that thing, and we catered it, so that's one of my claims to fame, is that I was on Fleetwood Mac's 
private jet. Very cool. So now, why do I share all of this? There must be a point to it, right? All of that is to say, when you work for a company that is a smaller division of a large headquarters, for example, Kara Food Services, their headquarters is in uh, Vaughan, Ontario, which is, or, uh, yeah, Vaughan, Ontario, which is Greater Toronto. Um, there's, there's this thing that happens every once in a while where uh, the big guy, the boss, maybe the owner of the franchise will show up. <laughs> sometimes it's unannounced, sometimes you know that he or she is gonna show up, and what happens when the boss, the head cheese, so to speak, shows up at a branch, a smaller location? Everyone is on their best behavior. The place gets cleaned up like it never has before. You know, the, bot, the local manager or the boss, they just act differently. It's like you never knew them up until that point. Uh, suddenly, there's a complete change in the whole atmosphere, and it makes a difference when he or she shows up. And that's why things like Undercover Boss were created, right? So that a true... A uh, picture or state of the organization could be discovered when the boss is incognito. So this morning, the uh, passage got a little cut short for us there. We're going to, but I'll read it again. We're going to see, or this evening rather, we're going to see that, if you're online, ignore all of that. We're going to see that when God shows up, it makes a difference. It makes a huge difference when God shows up. You see, God is the creator of the universe. He owns it all. And he has established this entity, what we call the body of Christ, the church, in little outposts all over the globe. It's these divisions, these little, uh, these uh, local outworkings or outposts of a bigger picture. And so when God shows up, it makes a huge difference. And he said, I need a presence in my local church. And things will change as a result. It made a difference in the first century and it makes a difference now. You see, if our church, Central Community Church, is going to have any relevance, if it's going to affect any change, if it's going to be of any influence in our culture as we engage and fulfill the great commandment and the great commission of Jesus Christ, then we desperately need the presence of God to make a difference right here, right now. Wouldn't you agree? In our church in Lake Arrock, in Agassiz, in Harrison, in Chilliwack, in the Lower Mainland, in the eastern Fraser Valley where God has put us, in Thailand, in Burundi, in the world, because when God shows up, things change. It's different. It's amazing. It's perplexing. So let's get into this text that was read for us and take a look at the difference that the ongoing presence of God, the Holy Spirit, the very spirit of God made in the early church and is still making today. And I want us to notice from the text today from Acts chapter two, verses one through 13, I want us to notice four things about when God showed up. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is, first of all, it is promised. I say it is promised. Acts 2, 1 to 4, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared uh, to them and rested on each one of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
When God showed up in the person of the Holy Spirit, you know what? It wasn't a surprise to the disciples. They might have not known that it was going to be that exact day. Maybe they did, but they were expecting it. There was an expectancy. You see, after Jesus died and was raised to life just before he ascended back to heaven where he came from the Father, he clearly said to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, when he shows up. And then he said, now go wait for this to happen. And that's exactly what was happening here when they were all together in one place, uh, Acts says. But this was a reinforcement of what Jesus had said before his death and before his resurrection. He told his followers, his disciples, he said, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And then in John 16, he said, but I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you, but if I go I will send him to you. Sent by the Father, sent by the Son, you see the Godhead in its fullness working together. One God and three persons. It's beautiful. Jesus had to leave this earth before the Holy Spirit could be given. And this was something that God ordained and he promised uh, years, even centuries before Christ. So we'll notice next week in, in uh, Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 17, the prophet Joel said, I will pour out, God said through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And before Joel, God said through the prophet Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart. And I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. So the Holy Spirit was prophesied and told, uh, promised and re- by the prophets and reinforced by Jesus, but also by John the Baptist, who said, you know, I'm going to baptize you with water for repentance, but after me will come one more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He is talking about Jesus. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so, voila, we come to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we see the fulfillment of the promise. Now, hear this. This promise of the Holy Spirit was not just for those first century Christians. He's also for you, and he's also for me. And he was given and the beginning of the church, and he still is being given. You see, when you go all the way back to the beginning of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1, Luke said, he, he wrote uh, to Theophilus, he said, all that Jesus began to do and to teach. And so what's happening now is through the church, Jesus, what he began to do and what he began to teach is continuing. It continued with immediately with the apostles and the 120 who were part of the church that time, which quickly became 3,000 plus. And it continues down through the ages to us today. It continues through us, his ministry, what he began to do and to teach if we are filled 
with the Holy Spirit. That's the key. I want you also to hear this. The way in which the Holy Spirit was first given was, I believe, very unique and quite different than subsequent givings and receivings of the Holy Spirit, primarily because of the purpose of his presence in our lives and the purpose in that immediate context in the early church. I'm going to talk more about that later. Like, I don't know about you, but I did not have a wind-blowing, fire-separating, room-shaking, kind of tongue-speaking experience when I received the Holy Spirit. I didn't have that. And I don't think many people do. Some do, but certainly all don't. But does that mean that God's Spirit doesn't inhabit our lives in the same way he did those first disciples? No, it doesn't. You see, when... You or, or I truly believe the gospel. When we believe the good news about Jesus, his sinless life, his atoning death and sacrifice, his resurrection from the dead, and we personally ask Jesus Christ to rule our life, he does so immediately by the Holy Spirit, by his Spirit. The Spirit of God takes up residence immediately in our lives. We don't have to wait 50 days like those first Christians did. It isn't about the laying on of hands. It isn't about baptism, both of which were connected with the receiving of the Holy Spirit in Acts. But the common denominator in all instances that are recorded for us in Scripture regarding when an individual received the personal presence of God by his Spirit is the moment Christ truly became part of their life. And so I want to read a little bit of a passage for you from Ephesians chapter 1. This is really important. Actually, I'm going to summarize the first few verses from 3 to about 12, where Paul is blessing and praising the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because he has blessed us. How did he bless us? It says that, you know, we were chosen, we were uh, predestined to be adopted, to become sons of Jesus according to the purpose of his will, the praise of his glorious grace, and it says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished upon us. That's the gospel. That's salvation. And then it goes on and on, and then in verse 13, Paul said, in him, in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, now listen carefully, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Isn't that amazing? The moment we heard and the moment we believed, he said, I've given you the Spirit. He's yours. And so, uh, for some, that belief after hearing the gospel, was solidified through the laying on of hands in Scripture. For some, it was solidified when they were baptized, which, by the way, is the biblical pattern and the norm after repentance. The Scripture says this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, repent, turn from your ways and from your sin and follow Jesus, and be baptized, which shows that you are saved, truly, and that the Holy Spirit is part of your life. But whatever the case, whatever the order of those things, the promise immediately stands for all who put their full trust and belief in Christ after hearing the good news, the gospel. So let's make this a little more personal. Is the Spirit of God in you today? Have you trusted Jesus Christ as your personal master, ruler, Lord? 
Savior? Has your life been transformed by his grace? And have you received the forgiveness that Jesus offers you? Have you believed the gospel? Is the Holy Spirit of God in you today? If not, why don't you invite him? After hearing the truth, why don't you believe in him and literally invite him to be filled with the Holy Spirit? You see, in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God came upon people, and now he lives in people, not on us, but in us, and that makes a huge difference. I am blown away by what Jesus said uh, in John 14. In the context of the Holy Spirit, he said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. How is this possible for us to do the same things Jesus did and even greater works? Because he's given us his Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God came upon Jesus. It comes into our lives. He comes into our lives when we believe the gospel. And Jesus said, whatever you ask in my name, this will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. And that leads me to the second thing that I see in this passage. The presence of God is not only promised and real, but the the presence of the Holy Spirit is preceded by prayer. Acts 2, again, going to the beginning, 1 and 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. They were all together in one place. And then it says, and suddenly, all of these things began to happen. There's a few things that those first disciples occupied themselves with and uh, things that would precede uh, the living out of their faith in the marketplace, sometimes quite dramatically with the presence of Christ in their lives by his spirit. And one of those things that preceded all of this, a fundamental, a basic, if you want to say this, although it's not basic, it's hard, it's prayer. What were they doing as they waited for the Holy Spirit in that upper room? They were devoting themselves to prayer. They were constantly in prayer. And I believe that's what they were doing here when it says that they were all together in this one place. They were praying and they were waiting. They were anticipating that the Holy Spirit would be given as Jesus said. They were ready for the promise to be invested into their lives. Friends, that pattern has not changed. You see, for you and for me to experience the life-changing presence of God in our lives, we must pray. We must call upon him. You must ask God to direct you, to lead you, and to ready you for his life-changing presence. A bit later in Acts chapter 2, we're going to be getting there yet, but to open the door a little bit, verse 38 and 39, Peter said to the people, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do with this Jesus? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So to repent, to confess sin, means that we actually need to speak it. We need to pray. And that's what Paul said in Romans 10, that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, he's my master, my ruler, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for it's with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. And so the presence of God in our lives happens through prayer. Confession and repentance happens as we talk to God and then live it out. So if you want Christ to be part of your life by his spirit, if you want to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus, his disciple, you must pray. 
Now, if you already are a believer and the Holy Spirit already indwells your life, prayer is no less important. (laughs) It's equally important. Scripture says that we can quench the work of the Spirit in our lives. We can stuff it down. We can put out the fire that burns within us, 1 Thessalonians 5, 19. And this can happen in a number of ways, but primarily it happens when we have unconfessed sin in our lives or when we're not in prayerful discernment, we're not talking to God about things. So, so if we want the continued filling and anointing and outpouring, whatever kind of word you want to put behind it, if we want that in our lives, uh, we, need, we need to pray. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, Paul said, be filled, be filled with the Holy Spirit. The word there is a, a present passive imperative. It is a command to us, but a filling of the Holy Spirit is something that we can't do ourselves. You see, it's God that gives us his spirit. But that doesn't rule out our responsibility. That's what the passive means. We still retain the responsibility to ask God and to live in such a way that would invite his filling and empowerment in our lives. And it has to happen on an ongoing daily basis. That's what scripture says. We need to pray and confess our sin. We need to pray and ask for his direction. We need to pray for open doors for the gospel. We need to pray that others will come to know Jesus. We need to pray and keep in step with the Spirit, Galatians 6. Third, the presence of the Holy Spirit is powerful. It's powerful. I wish I could camp here (laughs) for a few hours and share stories but we can't. Um, it's powerful. Look what happened in the rest of the passage. It said there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and then there was tongues of fire, and people began to speak in tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And, and then the result of this, it says that people were bewildered, and they were amazed, and they were astonished. Verse 12, they were amazed and perplexed, and they said to one another, what does this mean? You see, when God showed up by his spirit, it was with power. God does not extend his hand of fellowship with us and then give us this wet noodle marshmallow kind of a handshake. Has everybody ever had one of those handshakes? Like, if you're one of those people, stop doing it. Mind you, it's COVID, so we can't shake hands anyway. But I'm looking forward to the day when I can shake people's hands again, when I can hug you. (laughs) I look forward to that. That's what God does with us. When he extends his handshake, it's firm. It is powerful. Notice the language describing that blowing wind. By the way, spirit in Greek is the word pneuma. And so when you have pneumonia, that's literally an assault on your wind, on your breath. Pneuma means wind, breath. This wasn't just a little breeze. The ESV says a mighty rushing wind, whereas the NIV says the blowing of a violent wind. This was forcible. The root word indicates that there was vital activity happening here. That's the polite way of saying this was category five, friends. It's category five. And it was vital that the Spirit, God's presence, be demonstrated with power. Why? Well, I mean, there's no other way that we can be saved from our sins But God wanted these first Christians to know and to understand beyond the shadow of a doubt that the road he was calling to, the road marked with suffering, would not be easy. It would require power. 
We see in this very passage, it started already with them being mocked. But it escalated quickly to threats of imprisonment, to beatings, death threats. Stop this. The Apostle Paul being put under the rock pile, one stone at a time kind of persecution. You see, to witness, to establish churches, to deal with hard leadership issues and church discipline, to extend the hand of fellowship to others, to exercise servant leadership like Jesus did, to set people free, to stand and preach in front of kings, to touch diseased and crippled people, and to be salt and light requires power. Can I, can I get a witness to that? Is somebody want to say amen? Amen to those who are watching online? You can say it louder in your room. It's okay. I, I knew somebody who would say all the time, that's dynamite. Whenever he heard something that got him excited, that's dynamite. And I think that we should all be saying that around here because that's what power means. So go back to Acts 1 verse 8. In Jesus' words to, uh, to his disciples and to us, he said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. The Greek word there is dunamis. What do, you, what do you think we get from that word? Dynamite. It's explosive. The Holy Spirit's power is vital to the church to make things happen. So wind and fire and also earthquakes and water, all of these things associated with the Holy Spirit in Scripture and prayer are the four most powerful elements that we can identify with. I mean, we see it in the news almost every day. Look how long it took for the smoke to clear from our neighbors to the south of us here. It's powerful. In Ephesians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul, he got on his knees before the Father and he prayed for the church. This is what he prayed, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Oh, how we need this, friends. We need this in our lives. We need this in our church. We need this for other people to come to Christ. God said through his prophet Zechariah, he said, there's not anything by your might or your power that will accomplish things, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. And we often give power to the wrong things in our lives, really, in reality, that are powerless. We give power to our own flesh. We give power to our fears and what's happening in the world. We give power to the enemy when he has none. Let's go to the true source of power, the spirit of Jesus who lives in us, because Jesus said that apart from me, you can do nothing. You're powerless. Let's make this a little bit more personal this morning. Do you ever feel dry or dead or useless or purposeless or empty or anxious? So many people do. So many Christians do. I do at times. But it doesn't have to be that way. I want you to listen to probably one of my most favorite passages that I studied when I was preparing for this. Romans 8, 8 to 11. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Friends, that's power. Nobody can bring life and vibrance to us and to the church other than the spirit of God. Finally, the presence of God from this passage is purposeful. There is a purpose for all of this and we're gonna end our time talking about this. It says they began to speak in other tongues and people were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And I'm going to finish where it left off in the video and it says they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Judea Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and all the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. It's quite the list. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? Well, I'm going to tell you what it means. <laughs> God showed up for a reason. There was and there is a purpose for the Holy Spirit, his presence. And what is that reason and purpose, you may ask? I'm glad you asked. To understand Acts 2, we have to again go back to Acts 1, verse 8. Jesus said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. It's the primary purpose for God's presence. You see, all of the things that the Holy Spirit gives us and gifts us with his very essence, who he is. And there is so many uh, facets to the Holy Spirit, his, his uh, attributes. There's so many things that he gives us. I wish we could talk about them, but literally this is a whole semester's worth of study. <laughs> the things that he enables us with, all of them are to assist and to support the primary purpose, and that is to be witnesses of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, period. It's all for that. And so it's absolutely critical that we understand this, friends, critical. Otherwise, we can get wrapped up in controversies and debates about speaking in tongues. Why were tongues associated with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost? Because in verse five, there were staying in Jerusalem, you know, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. So get this. You have a huge Jewish feast. And there wasn't just Jews there. There was all kinds of people. The proselytes. And, and it's a festival. It's a big party. In scripture in the Old Testament, it was called the Feast of Weeks. And it was to celebrate the harvest. You could call this Expo 01. <laughs> you know, Vancouver hosted Expo 86, where the nations came. This was the first expo, friends. The nations have gathered in one place. It was a global event. And God at that moment says, now, now is the time. Now is when I'm going to pour out my spirit. Here's the power to be witnesses. The world is at your doorstep. Don't miss the opportunity. I don't have a group of translators ready. You're on. <laughs> and the spirit enabled all of those first disciples to speak literally in other languages so they could witness and proclaim the good news and the power and the mystery of Christ to the nations. 
And that's why this type of tongues was given. There's another one, I believe, but we're not going to get lost in those weeds. So those from other nations that were gathered in Jerusalem for that festival, they needed to know God in a new way because of Jesus who changed everything. And they didn't know this. And they needed to know this. To be sure, this caused quite a stir. People aren't used to be shaken out of their tradition. So Peter got up and he said, I, I, let me just explain this. Brief explanation, far shorter than I preach. And what happened? 3,000 people are saved and the church began with rapid growth and explosion. The vitality of the spirit needed to sustain a global movement that is still happening today. See, our God is not a God of confusion and chaos. He's a God of order and understanding. There's no room for disorder and chaos in the body. There's too much at stake. The eternity, the the eternal destiny of people's lives is at stake. And, And this is the purpose. And some people get this all twisted and confused, even to the point of saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not a Christian. That's nonsense. I think that the true test of faith is whether we're willing to walk across the room and engage in active witness for Jesus Christ's work in our life. The purpose and presence of God is not to speak in tongues. It is to make Christ known. That's the purpose. And we need to desire the greater gifts. I don't know about you, but I I find it not only fascinating how and why God showed up, but also when he did Pentecost. This is fascinating. At a time when Jerusalem was crowded and bursting at the seams with activity, God showed up. Pentecost. The Jewish festival and feast of weeks. 50 days after the Passover, when the lamb was sacrificed and the people were delivered from bondage. Pentecost, 50 days. Seven sevens of Sabbaths. After seven full years, you have the year of Jubilee, the year of freedom from bondage, a Jewish celebration of the harvest. You get that? The harvest. And I just went, whoa, doesn't that just blow your mind? What a choice God made. Friends, the fields are ripe now unto harvest. It's harvest time. And God has provided the sacrificial lamb, Jesus, to deliver every single person on this planet from the nations, from the bondage of their sin. And God has given us the promise through prayer, with power, to fulfill his purpose, the purpose of making Christ known to the nations and experiencing the indescribable joy of participating in a harvest like no other harvest And that's why God showed up. That's why God showed up. Nikki Gumbel said, Jesus announced his manifesto for ministry and kingdom by reading from Isaiah 61. It is an audacious and revolutionary manifesto and you have a part to play in bringing it about. Gumbel says, Jesus went into the synagogue in Nazareth and was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling it, he found the place where it it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners 
and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, the Spirit of the Lord is not just on us, but he's in us for this reason. Have you experienced his freedom? And are you committed to tell others this incredibly good news? Let's pray. Lord, would you anoint us today? Anoint me. Pour out your spirit like refreshing water into my life and into others' lives. Fill us with the fullness of God, with your Holy Spirit to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, and to see lives transformed from ashes to beauty, from mourning to gladness, from despair to praise, from death to life. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior.